The following audio is from Morningstar Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio. For more information about Morningstar, visit morningstardayton.org. Amen. Well, once again, good morning. Uh, it's good to see you this morning. I just got back from camp this week uh, in Boston and where we had, I think, 450, 500 teenagers there. And God showed up in an amazing way. We had so many give their life to Christ. We have a number of them that surrender and say, God, whatever it is you want for me to do. And I'm going to tell you, I want to thank you as a church for allowing me an opportunity to go and travel and do that. Because you see the importance in that. And because of that, to your account, there's fruit. There are so many teenagers that were bound for hell and death and now have new life in Jesus Christ. And now there's so many that were going to live their lives for themselves, but now have given their life to Jesus Christ and whatever he wants for them. And that's for you. And that's on you. And I want to say thank you for that. I'm excited uh, to be a part of that. And I know we have Wade and Christy are here and Reese is here. And they've been traveling with that same camp group for four weeks. And I know they're happy to finally be, you guys aren't home home yet, but at least you're done traveling, right? And But we're glad to have them here this morning. I... Going down there and coming back was quite the process. Um, it seemed like every plane I got on was broke. And like nothing instills confidence to you as a flyer when you get on the plane and the pilot comes on and says, there's going to be a delay because we have no hydraulic fluid in our plane. That's kind of important if you don't know. Like they go up and down with hydraulics and the landing gear comes down with hydraulics. So that's a kind of important thing. Like how do you miss not having that? And where did it go? So anyway, and then the very next plane I got on, was delayed because there was a hole in the airplane. Um, and then I missed all my flights on Friday because they canceled all my flights because all the planes that I was supposed to get on were broke. And so they had to stay another night. I had to stay another night in Boston and finally got home yesterday and still got to stay at the airport for an hour and a half while they found our luggage. So that was fun. Um, but it was great and I'm glad to be here, but I'm tired and I don't, like I'm not thinking clearly. There's like this whole fog around my head. So if I don't make sense this morning, just roll with it, okay? Um, it, it'll be good, hopefully, all right? Hey, we're in Luke chapter 16 this morning. Luke chapter 16, we, a few weeks ago, we started a series talking about your one. And if you weren't here, what we're talking about is re-energizing re the church to go and find those who don't know Jesus, who aren't in a relationship with him, and be intentional about sharing our faith and be intentional about what are we gonna do about that. In fact, last Sunday, we left with... Uh, three things that we left with were one, we were going to be intentional. Our lives were going to live it on purpose and that we were going to invite and invest. And then I challenged us as a church to go find someone in your neighborhood before the end of the year and invite them into your home to start a relationship. To go find one person and invite them out for coffee or dinner and start a conversation. And then to find somebody to go and invite them to church, to Morningstar, so they can start this journey. And that was a challenge given to everybody in our church that before the end of the year, we'll all do those three things. And, and, and man, that was, that was a hard challenge As for me, especially because I know for me in my life, it gets very easy to get distracted. It gets very easy to start doing things my own way or, hey, I'm busy, right? Uh, but God hasn't called us to just busyness. He's called us to the job of life change, and we need to be better about it as churches. And this week, we're carrying forward that idea of our one. And I'm going to tell you, this morning's topic is difficult. It's not an easy one. And maybe for some of you, it's like your first time to church, or maybe it's your first time to Morningstar. And you're like, great, this is the day I choose to come to church, because today we're talking about hell. And I'm going to change mics, all right? So that's going to drive me crazy. Hello, testing, testing. Can you guys hear me? Okay, all right. Maybe this is any better. Hello? Okay, all right. Sorry about that. So today we're talking about, and it's a difficult subject. In fact, nobody really wants to hear about it. And I might just have to talk without the microphone this morning. That's, that, that sounds going to drive me nuts. Um, but here's the deal. Like, I've been here for a year, and I haven't spoken on a message on just hell since I've been here. Are we clapping? All right, anyway, so this is, wow, this is different. Sorry if you're the first time here. This is not how things normally go around here. But anyway, um, now we've mentioned hell and we've talked about hell, but I've never had a message about hell before. And, and so as difficult as, you're like, man, everybody gets uncomfortable. People start squirming a little bit, like we're going to talk about hell. But it is a hard topic. But listen, we're talking about something that Jesus talked about. 
And in Luke chapter 16, if you have your Bibles, starting in verse 19, it said there was a rich man who would dress in purple and fine linen, and he feasted lavishly every day. But a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, was left at his gate. In other words, Lazarus is right outside the, the fence of the house. And he longed to be filled with what fell from the rich man's table. But instead, the dogs would come and lick his sores. And one day, the, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, in hell, he looked up and saw Abraham a long way off with Lazarus at his side. And he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this flame. If you underline in your Bible, verse 23, you might want to underline that word torment. And verse 24, you might want to underline those words agony and flame. Jesus is using very descriptive words to describe hell for us in this passage. And then verse 25, son, Abraham said, remember that during your life you received your good things just as Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here while you are in agony. Besides all this, there's a great chasm that has been fixed between us and you so that those who would want to pass over from here to you cannot, and neither those from there cross over to us. Father, he said, then I beg you to send him to my father's house because I have five brothers to warn them so they won't also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. But he told them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded if someone rises from the dead. Let's pray this morning. God, we just thank you again for today. And God, this is a heavy subject. God, this is a hard topic to talk about. But we have to talk about it. So God, this morning, I pray that you'll just open our minds and our hearts, even as believers this morning, to understand what it is that you say about this place that we weren't even created for that wasn't even created for us. And God, that you will challenge us through this passage and through your word about how we should then live, that we need to go find our one to do everything we possibly can to rescue them from this fate. God, we give you the glory and honor for all of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, this is not a topic that, that we like to talk about. But as a pastor... My job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And part of that equipping of the saints is we've got to be aware. We've got to know truth. And if Jesus spoke it, obviously it's truth. And he gives us this crazy passage here about an insight into what it looks like, what it means, what it, what it feels like in hell. And today the prayer is that God would allow me to speak this today compassionately but also truthfully to help someone. And someone might say, hey, look, if you preach a message like that, man, somebody, man, they're, gonna, they're totally going to get saved if they're lost. And that might be true. But I want you to get something this morning. I'm not preaching this for lost people. Today this message is not for lost people. I, this message is not for people who don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. But this message is for the believer who's been saved for 60 more years. This message is for the believer that's been saved 40 years or more or 30 years or more. This message is for the believer who's been saved five years or more, one year or more. This message is for believers. And I get it. Why preach to hell? Why preach about hell to people who aren't going to hell? Why preach about hell to people who aren't going to hell? Here's why. Because you're not going to hell. We're talking about hell this morning because you're not going to hell because we forget what we've been saved from. We forget what we've been rescued from. We forget what we really deserve to get. We forget what it means to be offered heaven as an act of grace and be spared from hell as an act of mercy. We forget, and how quickly and easily we forget. We don't like talking about it, so we kind of push it away. I'm speaking to 150, 160 people in this room, and the majority of you, hopefully, are not even on your way to hell. Hopefully, the majority of you, you've been rescued because a funny thing happened along the way. Somebody shared the gospel with you, and you got saved, but you've forgotten where you were headed to the point that now you don't tell other people where they're headed. We're living in a generation that doesn't like to hear what I'm preaching, so most people don't deal with it. But I'm not preaching that the lost would be saved, even though I hope they are. I'm preaching that the saved will get a burden for the one that is going to hell. 
I'm preaching that as we read what Jesus was talking about, Jesus told this story to a group. There were some unbelievers in the group, but so were his followers, his disciples, and those that were following Jesus. He wants people to understand, one, yes, he wants to warn people, hey, you don't have to go there, but he also wants people who aren't going there to get a burden for people who are going there. Does that make sense? We use hell as a, as a slang term because we don't like to think of it as a real place. But, man, if somebody, we think somebody deserves it, like, we'll, we'll say it. We'll even tell people if we get mad at somebody, we'll tell them to go to hell. Why? Because we can't think of a worse place for them to go. So we'll tell them. That's why we don't tell people, well, why, don't you just, why don't you just go Dunkin' Donuts, right? You go Dunkin' Donuts. Sorry. No. You get really mad at someone and you've heard it before, do we just tell them to go to hell? Why? Because it, it's a hor- we think of it as a horrible place, but we forget that it's a real place. We forget that it's real. The only time sometimes we really believe in hell is when we know somebody who really deserves it, like Hitler, right? There's a, when we even say things like, there's a special place in hell for that guy. What a horrible, wicked person. Or like somebody who would go into a school and shoot up a school full of children and then turn the gun on themselves. We would look at that person and go, he got what he deserved. Like, I hope he rots in hell, right? Because we believe that hell, is, it's, it makes sense because we think it's only for people who are worse than us. And those are the only people who go there. But the Bible records this, uh, this story, this passage that Jesus talks about, about a rich man and a poor man, and they both die. And the, the, the rich man goes to hell, and the poor man goes to heaven. And the rich man from hell looks across the great divide, and he sees heaven, and he asks for mercy, for water, to cool his tongue. And then when the, that request is denied, he asks for somebody to go to his family and tell them about it so they don't have to end up there. But here's the deal. God turned him down. God said, no, I'm not going to send anybody back from the dead because even if somebody came back from the dead, there's still no guarantee that they're going to make a decision. There's still not a guarantee they're going to give their life to Jesus. So he's not going to use people bringing them back from the dead. And he doesn't use angels. So if he's not using angels to warn people about hell and he's not using dead people to warn people about hell, then who? Who? It's us. It's us. There's another account in Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus tells us what's going to happen in the future judgment. That everybody's going to be separated into two different groups, the sheep and the goats. The sheep being representing people who have a relationship with the Father because he's our shepherd. So we're called sheep. And the goats are people who they kind of look like sheep, but they're not because they don't have a relationship with Jesus. And then he tells the sheep, he says, enter into my peace. But to the goats, he says this, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. And that's where I was headed, and that's where you were headed, because I was cursed until somebody gave me the gospel. And, and here's the gospel. The gospel is this, that Jesus became my curse, that Jesus took my curse. Now, you say, what's a curse? I'm not talking about witches and, and curses like that. The curse is this, that the wrath of God was ready to be poured out on me. Because God is holy and he's righteous and he's just and I'm sinful and I'm broken. And so the wrath of God wasn't necessarily pointed at me, but it was pointed at sin and I'm a sinner. And so it was pointed at me. The wrath of God is that I was going to take that all on myself. That's the curse. But the fact that Jesus took that curse for me. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before they crucified him and Jesus was so stressed, he was sweating drops of blood. And he says, Father, let this cup pass from me. He wasn't holding a cup. It wasn't a McDonald's 32-ounce Dr. Pepper that he was holding. He wasn't holding any cup. The cup he was talking about was the cup of God's wrath that he was about to drink from that was about to be poured all over him, that he was about to be consumed with on the cross for all of mankind. And what Jesus was saying in his humanity, because he was God, 100% God and 100% man, but in his humanity, he was like, God, is there any other way? But he knew there wasn't, so he said, Father, your will be done. But Jesus took that cup of God's wrath for me. He took my curse and he took your curse, and that's the gospel, that Jesus took it, so I don't even have to take a sip from it. That Jesus took the curse from me, so not one moment do I have to be impacted or affected by it at all. That's the great news. But we like to pick and choose God's attributes. Like, well, God's loving. Yes, he is loving. No one will ever love you like God loves you, ever. And God's merciful and he's gracious, but he's also holy. And he's just and he's righteous and we can't pick and choose. Well, I like God's love. 
so we'll forget about the rest. God does love us, and that's why he gave us his son, Jesus. And the Bible speaks of the reality of hell. And the, one of the most difficult questions that I've been posed as a pastor, and maybe you've been posed this as well, is how does a loving, kind, and gracious God send someone to hell? Well, again, when we ask that question, what we're doing is picking and choosing the attributes of God that we want to focus on. But the reality is, is that God doesn't send anyone to hell. We go. We choose that. There's, in fact, there's a meme going around social media that says this. God doesn't send anyone to hell. He just honors people's choices, which is a very harsh way to say it. But, yes, it's true. God doesn't send anyone to hell. He just honors our choice. And if we reject God in life, why would God ever force himself on us in eternity? If we don't want God here and now, God's not going to force himself on us. So he does honor. We choose. God doesn't send anyone to hell. And second, I didn't need God to condemn me to hell. Did you know that? I was born a sinner. And on top of that, I chose to sin. I was taking care of going to hell part by myself. Like God didn't, he doesn't need to send me to hell. And only the Pew Research has their research right now that only 58% of people believe in hell. That's everybody, believers and unbelievers. And then when you break it down, only 32% believe that hell is an actual place of torment and suffering, and that's among believers. Richard Baxter was a Puritan pastor, and he directed his church members to spend a day with God. And I want to quote this from you, from this Puritan pastor from, from ago. He says this, let God have your first awakening thoughts. Lift up your hearts to him reverently and thankfully for the rest and the joy from the night before. And cast yourself upon him from the day for the day which follows. Get this. He says, think of the mercy of a night's rest. And how many that have spent that night in hell? How many in prison? How many in cold, hard lodgings? How many suffering from agonizing pains and sickness, weary of their beds and of their lives? Think of how many souls were that night called from their bodies, terrifyingly to appear before God. And think how quickly days and nights are rolling on and how speedily your last night and day will come. Observe that which is lacking and the preparedness of your soul for such a time and seek it without delay. I, I, that is such a profound statement when he says, think about your night's rest from last night. Even those of you who might sleep with someone who snores a lot and you don't get a whole lot of rest, okay? Think about the rest you got in comparison with someone who spent the last eight hours in hell. Who that eight hours in hell for them was just another eight hours of a never-ending series of hour after hour after hour after hour for days and years and eternities. Even the worst night rest you get doesn't even come close to comparing to the agony and the suffering that one person spends just one moment in hell. And that's why I can't think of being softer on hell than Jesus. If you were to read the New Testament from, from the book of Matthew to the book of Revelation, Jesus spoke on hell three times more than he did on heaven. Do you think it might be impactful? Do you think it might be important? Do you think that maybe he wants people to understand what exactly it is that he's rescuing them from? And in this passage, I want to point out some things that the Bible says about hell that we get from this passage that Jesus talks about this rich man in hell. So if you're taking notes, we're going to go through some things real quick. Here's number one. Hell is eternal. It's forever. Someone says it this way, eternity is too long to be wrong because it is forever. In Matthew chapter 25, I think we got the verse on the screen, verse 46. Jesus says this in that passage we're talking about where he's separating out the sheep and the goats. And he says, and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. If you look at the beginning of that passage, it says there's coming a judgment where God is going to separate the believers from the unbelievers, the sheep and the goats. And some will go into everlasting life and others will go into everlasting torture. That word, that phrase eternal punishment in the Greek is ionesis, ionesis, kalesis. Ionesis, kalesis, and it means, the ionesis part means eternal, forever, unending. And the kalesis part means punishment. And then he says in the same verse, he says, and then others will go to eternal life. And it uses the same word for eternal as it did for the punishment, Ionysus. But for life, it's zoe. 
So here, if people look at this passage and go, well, you know, hell's not real or hell's not eternal. That's funny because Jesus uses the same word to describe eternal life in heaven as he does eternal life in hell. See, we're, those of us going to heaven, we like the part that heaven lasts forever, but we forget that hell also does. That hell also lasts forever. We believe that heaven is eternal, but we, be, we forget that hell is eternal, forever in punishment. Jesus in the book of Revelation refers to hell as the second death. That's the ultimate separation. If there's something to know, this is what I would want to know. In fact, in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, John says, I write these things so that you may know that you have eternal life. In other words, it's not a guessing game. We don't have to get to the end of our life and go, do I really have Jesus? Do I really have life? Am I really going to heaven? There's a lot of religions out there that you have to guess. You have to worry about if you're good enough or bad enough. You have to worry about if your good outweighs your bad. Did you please God enough? Did you do enough good things to make him happy? But John said, that's not what this is about. I wrote, so you may know, like that know is present to right now, not know on your deathbed, know right now while you're alive that you have eternal life, that you don't have to guess. And I'm going to tell you, I know that I know that I know because when I was 13 years old at Camp Tecula in East Texas, at the end of the Thursday night message, I, don't, I can't tell you what the speaker was speaking on, which hurts my feelings as a camp speaker, but I can't tell you what the speaker said. But you know what I do know? That whole time I was sitting there the Holy Spirit was working in my heart and said, John, you don't have relationship with me. And at the end of the message, I got up and I walked out and I grabbed a guy named Mike Stidham, who was the counselor there. And I said, Mike, I don't know. And he said, let's get it settled right now. And I prayed and I got down on my knees. I can take you to the very spot outside that brick chapel in Chester, Texas, and say, that's where it happened. And some of you have very similar stories. You know exactly, you know that you know that you know that you gave your life to Jesus Christ. But if you don't, then you probably haven't. Because John says, I write these things that you may know, you can know that you have eternal life. I know I have eternal life. I know that God changed me because the Bible says any man that's in Christ is a new creation. Not that I'm, I'm perfect or I'm everything that I ought to be, but I'm not what I used to be. Now, I know you might say, well, with the fact you got saved at 13, I mean, how hardened of a criminal could you have been? You have no idea, number one. But number two, I was still a sinner. I was still separated from God, even at 13. And for some of you who got saved at a young age, sometimes we get a little discouraged because we're like, man, I, I was never addicted to crack. I was never a prostitute. Like, I don't see this crazy life change. Here's the deal. Not only did Jesus reach down and save you from the person you used to be, but he saved you from the person that you might be. Does that make sense? For some of you then that this morning, like, I got saved at a young age, and so... It's like, I, I really don't understand. Here's the deal. And we're like, oh, man, I, like I don't have a great testimony. Yes, you do, because you have no idea the person God saved you from being. So, yeah, I wasn't this crazy, horrible, like, going out and robbing banks type thing at 13. But I don't know where I would be now. So not only did God save me from who I used to be, but he saved me from the person that I could have been. Jesus made a difference in my life, and I'm glad because I really do believe, I believe with all my heart that hell is eternal because Jesus said that it's eternal. And I'm preaching this sermon today, and we're talking about this, talking about your one, finding your one, because everyone's going to spend an eternity somewhere. And we need to be reminded about that this morning. Hell is forever. It's eternal. Number two, hell is a place of pain. The Bible refers to being tormented. Remember, I told you to underline that, that word torment there in verse 23. Jesus on one occasion says, it's where the worm dies not. The worm doesn't die. And he says it's a place of wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. The idea about the worm not dying and that all that means that people, if they could just stop existing, they would. If they could just die again and not have to worry about that, they would. But they can't. There's no rest. There's no recovery. It's day in and day out constantly. And the biggest pain of all about hell is that God is not there. The re biggest reality and the biggest pain is that God and his grace is not in that place. Do you realize that even unbelievers today, even though they don't experience the, the saving grace of Jesus Christ, they experience the grace of God? Their very breath, their very next heartbeat is given by the grace of God. The fact that there are believers in this world helps show and give grace to other people. But in hell, the moment they step into hell, there's no more grace. It's the only place that God's grace does not extend. 
They rejected his grace through life, so he withholds it through eternity. And I'm not a hellfire and brimstone pastor. In fact, I'm a get out of hellfire and brimstone pastor, okay? I'm not here to scare people out of hell, but I'm here to scare believers into getting other people out of hell. Do you understand the difference? My job is not to scare you into, out of hell and into heaven. My job as a pastor is to edify and train the believers and scare you about hell so that when you look at your neighbor and your family member and your coworker, you're like, I don't want them going there. I don't want them to end up there. The problem with just preaching nothing but hellfire and brimstone is you, you'll get a lot of people giving their life to Jesus, a lot of salvations, but you get a lot of very shallow Christians who aren't interested in going deeper in their faith. And the problem with preaching just going deeper in your faith is you get a lot of Christians who are going deeper in their faith, but they forget what they were saved from. That's why the Bible says we have to preach the whole counsel of God. Jesus said the flames are real. And I don't know if you ever thought about this, but if hell is not a place of torment, then why did Jesus put himself through torment to save us? Do you ever think about that? If hell isn't real, number one, or if hell's really not a place of torment, then why did Jesus get crucified? One of the most horrible ways to be executed. Why would he do that if we just go to a place that's just not heaven? Or if we just stop existing? What's the point? If it's not torment, then why would Jesus take torment on himself? If it's not punishment, why would Jesus take punishment on himself? If it wasn't wrath, then why did Jesus take wrath upon himself? Because hell is a place of pain. Number three, hell is a place of sadness. And what's so sad about hell is there's no hope for anyone that ever goes there. This bothers a lot of religions right now. There's some religions right now that they can't, they don't even want to think about that, so they totally deny that. So what they do is that if somebody dies, they'll take somebody who's still living and they'll baptize them on behalf of the person who died, hoping that the person who died will get out of hell and go to heaven. That's nowhere in the Bible, by the way. But then there's some evangelical churches, even Baptist churches right now, and the movement now is this belief that hell is, one, not real, or hell's just temporary. That God at some point is going to redeem everybody out of hell. And that sounds so much nicer, doesn't it? Man, if, man, if I could wish anything to be true, that's what I would wish to be true. That anybody who goes to hell is not going to stay in hell forever. That God at some point is going to redeem everybody out. In fact, there was a guy who wrote a whole book about that idea that he has that hell's temporary and God's eventually going to rescue everybody out of hell. The problem is it's not biblical. And if this rich man knew that, hey, hey, at some point he's going to get out of hell, if it was going to be temporary, then he wouldn't be begging for somebody to go tell his brothers not to come there. I'll just wait out my time. No big deal. I'm preaching this morning, this is, this is truth. Not, not because I'm saying it, because Jesus said it. The hell is a sad place. The fourth thing is hell is a place of fear. Hell is a place of fear. Jesus' truth here is, listen, yes, it's fearful and it's scary, but it's meant to warn us. What this is supposed to do this morning is we read Jesus' words, we're looking at the rich man that's in hell and, and how he can't get out and how it's torment and how he doesn't want anybody to go there. What's going to do one of two things? One, it's going to ignite a fire under us, no pun intended, as believers, to go do more for the kingdom of Jesus Christ and tell people about his love and his forgiveness. Or if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, this should be like sending off some warning lights in your life. Kind of like that check engine light that comes on our dash and we go get a piece of black tape and put over it so we don't have to see it anymore, right? But the light's still there. And for some of you who don't have a relationship with Jesus, this is probably going off right now. And I know, because I know, I know how, how we all are, if that's you, you're kind of like trying to find ways to, um, to mitigate that. Well, I'm not that bad of a person. Well, he's just trying to get his people to go talk about Jesus. Jesus talked about hell being a place of torment and sadness. And his message here is meant to give us some warning lights to slow us down, if anything else, and look and go, okay, do I have a relationship with Jesus? And if I do, then I don't want anybody I know going there. The fifth thing is this, hell is a place of separation. So it's eternal, it's pain, it's sadness, it's fear, it's separation. It's separation from God for eternity. 
I told you earlier, the lost today are still experiencing God's grace, and hell is the only place where the grace of God does not extend. So we're separated from God for eternity, but we're also separated from others. We're isolated. And I've heard this before. I've heard people say, well, you know what? My, my, friend, my friend Joe's going to be there. My friend Justin's going to be there. So we'll just have a good time. We'll hang out. But that's not the case. This guy here in hell, he was not looking for fellowship there. He was looking at what he didn't have. And he was focused on his own agony and his own torment. You will not be focused on anything but your own suffering and what you don't have. In hell, the man that is there is not looking for whom he can hang out with. This guy's praying. And he's praying and begging God to go send somebody to his brothers. Because it's a place of separation. Those are some horrible things that are, hell, that are in hell. But do you know there's some good things in hell? So those are some horrible things that are in hell, but I want to show you some things that are some good things that are in hell. You ready? You're like, I've never heard that before. Well, we're going to go through it. Number one, some good things in hell. There's good people in hell. There are good people in hell. You might say, well, there's no way that guy or that woman could go to hell. They're good people. They're good neighbors. They're nice. They're kind. And there's no way that that person is not going to heaven. There's, there's no way that they're not going to go to, that they're going to end up in hell. But here's the deal, not, good people go to hell. And not all lost people are bad people. Did you realize that? Like not all, now they're sinners, but they're not bad people. In fact, I've met some lost people who are probably better at playing Christian than Christians are. I've met some nicer lost people than I, I've met some downright mean believers before. There's some people who do not know Jesus, and they're nice, great people. But they're still separated from God. Now, compared to Jesus and the glory of God, there's, there's none good. No, not one, and we're told that. But according to our human standard in this script, in this passage, the rich man, he's a good guy. You're like, well, wait a minute. How's he a good guy? He didn't let Lazarus eat from underneath his table. Okay, but look what he did do. He didn't let him eat from under his table, but he did let him sit outside his gate and beg. Sit outside of his gate. Think of it as somebody sitting right outside your garage door asking everybody who walks into your house for some money. So while he wasn't able to get food from the table, the rich man let him stand somewhere and sit somewhere where he could get money from everybody coming to his house. And this guy's a wealthy man, right? So who's coming to visit the wealthy man? Poor people or wealthy people? Wealthy people. And every wealthy person that walks through has to walk right past Lazarus. And in that culture, it was kind of a taboo thing not to give money to someone begging if you have money. So this guy is in a prime location to get money. Everybody who comes and visits this guy, they have to walk right past Lazarus. And this rich man could have had him arrested at any time. He could have said, no, no, see, that's what the city gate is for. You're supposed to be outside the city gates, not my house gate. So go stand outside the city gates where you belong. But the rich man never told him not to, not to leave. He, didn't, he never told him he had to go. He never told him, go stand where you're supposed to stand, which is outside the city gate, and leave my house alone. The rich man allowed him to stay outside his house gate. How many of you guys, how many of us, would allow some poor person to stand right outside of our front door and beg everybody who comes into our house for money? Probably not many of us. But in essence, that's what this guy was doing. He didn't have him arrested. He didn't send him away. He let him stay there. And later on, we see that not only to let him stay there, but this rich man probably had some sort of relationship with Lazarus because he knew him by name. When he was in hell and he saw heaven, he said, please send Lazarus to go to my brothers. He knew the guy by name. And when you're in hell, you don't get a glorified mind. You don't all of a sudden know everything. So he knew this guy. There was a memory there of knowing this guy. So he was a good guy, and yet here he is in hell. So this morning, if you think you're going to heaven because you're good, you can still go to hell as a, as a good person. Hell is full of good men and good women, people who gave to the poor, people who were compassionate, people who were nice neighbors, people who were super giving. Number two, the second good thing that's in hell. There's not just good people in hell, there's good vision in hell. The Bible says, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw that man afar off and Lazarus. His vision, when I say vision, I don't mean seeing with his eyeballs. I mean he was able to see what he was missing. All of a sudden, he realized, heaven's what I missed, and this is what I got. Vision means I know where I'm at, and I know where I should have been. That's vision. I know where I should have gone, but I'm here. 
A lot of people, that moment when they wake up and they realize they're separated from God and they're in hell, they're going to realize that. There's going to be great vision. They're going to have to guess and ask, where am I at? They're going to know. And this guy realized something that he was missing. Number three, not only is there good people and good vision, there's good prayers in hell. This man prayed the prayer. Look in verse 24. He called out, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Had this guy prayed that prayer while he was alive, God have mercy on me, a sinner, he wouldn't have been in hell, right? Now all of a sudden he has this amazing prayer life. He prayed that God would have mercy on him. And he says he lifted up his eyes and he cries out. And he says, have mercy on me, send Lazarus to cool my tongue. And then not just that, but then his prayer life even wasn't just about him, it was about others. He prayed for himself, yes, because he was in torment, but then he prayed for others. Because there's good prayers in hell. The fourth thing, there's good memory in hell. There's, we all have things we wish that we would be able to forget. And when this rich man asked God, hey, will you please come and send somebody to cool my tongue? He said, son, remember that during your life you received good things as Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted while you are in agony. There's memory in hell. Remember? Yeah, you're a good guy. You let this guy hang outside your gate. But remember, you didn't do one thing. He's comforted now because he took comfort in Jesus then. You're in hell because you never took comfort in me then. Why would you want to take comfort in me now? There's memory and there's things that we wish we could forget. But God says, you remember. You can think through. And here's the deal. And those of us who go to heaven, the Bible says that he wipes away all tears. So there's no regrets or sorrow or shame. But it's not so for those who go to hell. They can remember. Not only can they remember, but they get it. And they probably wish they could forget. Here's what you're going to have in hell. You're going to be conscious. There's going to be memory. There's going to be awareness. But what will you remember? There might be someone even here this morning. Again, this message is not for lost people. It's not for people this morning who don't have a relationship with God. But here's the deal. If you're here this morning, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you might live to be 90 and never give your life to Jesus Christ and then die and stand before your maker one day and realize that you're going to be in hell for eternity and one day you might just remember this message. I remember that time that pastor got up and talked about hell and he said it was a difficult conversation and they don't always have that kind of conversation, but I just pushed it off and pushed it off. Maybe you will remember the time your mom tried to lead you to the Lord and show you what true salvation looks like through Jesus Christ and you blew her off. Maybe you remember that time that Sunday school teacher tried to invest in you and have a relationship with you to, to teach you about Jesus and you found other things to think about and do. That's why hell's about a place for gnashing of teeth and wailing over regret. And memories just flood in to live to be 90, 80, 70, and never have made time for Jesus. The fifth thing, good thing it's in hell, there's good theology in hell. There's better theology in hell than some churches, but we won't go there this morning, okay? So this guy in hell immediately realizes, hey, God exists, he's real. There's no atheist in hell. You can say, well, I don't, I don't believe there's a God. One day you will. In fact, everyone in hell believes the Bible. Did you know that? They'll all know that Jesus Christ was the only way to heaven because in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, it says everyone on the earth and everyone in heaven and everyone under the earth will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's good theology in hell. Look at this. Look at verse 30. I want you to see this. This is amazing. Verse 30, no, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone will from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Now, where did this man who ended up in hell know that in order not to go to hell, you had to repent? Remember, we talked about repentance last week. I know it's a churchy word, but here's what repent means. It means I'm going this way and I'm giving my life to myself. And repent means I'm going to turn my back on the person I used to be and I'm going to turn my face towards the God that loves me turning my back on my sin and my shame and my messed up, jacked up, broken life and turning my face towards the God who loves me and sent his son to die for me, that's repentance. And this guy got it because there's great theology in hell. 
And he was begging for someone to go back to his brothers and say, hey, there's one word you got to get here so you don't end up where your brother's at, and that's repent, to turn away from who you are and turn your face to God before it's too late. But then God told him that sad truth that if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, put it in today's term, if they don't listen to, to this sermon, if they don't listen to this message, they don't listen to someone telling them now, then there's a good chance that even if someone came back from the dead, they still wouldn't repent and give their life to Jesus. Number six, there's good priorities in hell. There's good priorities in hell. He says, I beg you therefore, Father, you send him to my father's house because I have five brothers. They believe in evangelism in hell. He's asking to send somebody back, knock on the door, go talk to them. People in hell were wishing someone would go to their family and tell them. And let's not let the people in hell be more concerned over people going to hell than people in the church being concerned about people going to hell. I'm going to say that again because I know it was a mouthful. I want us to get it. Let's not let people in hell right now be more concerned about people going to hell than people in the church being concerned about people going to hell. Last week I said the greatest evangelists and the greatest, the most sold out and the most urgent people passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ are people who are right now, this very moment, in eternity in hell. And I love this, that the man in hell had five people on his prayer list already. And last week I challenged us to think of one. And this guy immediately, I got five. And I'm begging that they don't come here. So how many people on their way to hell, how many people that you know have you prayed for in the last year? And then he asked, let him go to them and let him testify to my brother. Testify just means to witness, to share that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the life, and talk about the gospel. So there's good people, there's good vision, there's good prayers, there's good memory, good theology, there's good priorities. Number seven, the last one, there's good intentions in hell. There's good intentions in hell. People can reject Christ through outright rebellion. Yeah, people can say, man, I hate God, I hate Jesus, I don't need the Bible, get away from me with that gospel. But you know what I found in years of ministry? Very, very rarely have I ever come across someone who says, get away from me with that, I don't want to talk about Jesus, I don't want to talk about heaven, I don't want to talk about a new life. Very rarely. Now, you might come across someone like that. And looks, Listen, by the way, side note. Don't go up to someone and say, hey, you're going to hell. That's not the way to do it, okay? But that passion should be inside of us because we know where they're going to end up, and it should drive us to form relationships, to start conversations, right? But I've never, I've very rarely run across somebody who says, I don't want anything to do with Jesus. You know how most people reject Jesus? Usually they do it very kindly. They deny and refuse Jesus through apathy. Well... Eh, I don't know. Or just indifference. Well, I just don't really think I need that. The biggest one is procrastination. This one kills me. I know, I know God's real. I know the whole Jesus thing. I just, I'm going to wait some time. I need more time to think about it. I need more time to process it. I'll wait till I get older. I'll wait till I get married. I'll wait till I'm in my deathbed. I'll wait till I'm in the hospital. And some do it by just ignorance because they don't know. They just don't know that Jesus is the only way. Hell's full of people who never intended to go there. They had good intentions, and it's said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So this morning, listen, we've looked at the bad things about hell. We've looked at the good, there's some good things in hell. So what do we do not to go to hell? We just talked about it. You have to repent of your sins, acknowledge that you are a sinner, but Jesus died for your sins and ask God to forgive you. And you've got to do it while you're alive. Here's the deal. There's no second chance after death. As long as you're alive, we keep getting the grace of God every day that we're alive. And he keeps putting off, putting off, putting off. But the moment we die, the Bible says it's appointed a man wants to die. And after that, the judgment, which means after death, there is no chance. But if you're hearing the voice, my voice this morning, if you hear the reading of the word of God this morning, there's still a chance. You still have that opportunity because God is gracious and he is loving and he is kind. And the great news, I know it's like, it's horrible to talk about hell. The great news is we don't have to go there. Like it's not for us that the God of the universe sent his son to die on the cross so that we don't have to spend even one moment there. And based on Matthew 25, verse 41, here's what I love. Hell was not prepared for us. It wasn't made for us. But get this, heaven was Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. That wasn't meant for us. 
But heaven is a place meant for us. Jesus, when he left, he says, I'm going to my father's house where there's many mansions and I'm going to prepare a place for what? For you. So that where I am, you may be also. Heaven was prepared for us, but hell wasn't. God wants everybody to go to heaven, but we have to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So this morning, listen, we've talked about this. We looked at it and it's, it's hard. I, I don't enjoy preaching about this. And I'm sure Jesus did not enjoy talking about this. You know why? Because I imagine as Jesus is talking about hell, every time he talked about it, Jesus is thinking about all the souls that are there that didn't give their life to him. And Jesus, and the Bible says that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to everlasting life. So this morning, the question is, does this message, does this passage about the rich man in hell bother us as much as it probably bothered Jesus to talk about it? Are we as passionate about people not going there as we are passionate about us going to heaven? Who's your one? What are you going to do about it? Paul says this, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What's the terror of the Lord? The wrath of God in hell for eternity. And Paul says, we know this, we believe it, and because of that, we persuade men that Jesus is the way. There's two quotes by Charles Spurgeon I'm going to leave us with this morning. I love these quotes. The first one, he says this, Think lightly of hell, and you will think lightly of the cross. Think little of the sufferings of lost souls, and you will soon think little of the Savior who delivers them. Then he says this, Oh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay and not madly to destroy themselves. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. So what about us? Are we as passionate about people who are lost and on their way to hell as we are passionate about the fact that we get to go to heaven? Who's your one? Let me have you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment this morning. And I'm going to ask you to do something. If you've got a pen right now, I'm going to ask that you take out your pen, find a piece of paper. If you need to write on the bulletin you got when you came here, that's fine, because here's what I'm going to challenge you to do. This rich man in hell had five names immediately of people that he's like, I don't want them here. So right now, who's one? Think of one and write it down. Are we as passionate about lost souls as that guy was? Are we going to let the passion and the, the drive and the urgency that is in hell today that can't go anywhere and can't help anything outshine the passion of the glory of Jesus Christ that's living in us right now? So who's your one? Maybe you can think of more than one. Write them down right now. Who is it? And if you can't think of one, then this morning our prayer should be, please God, lay someone in my mind. Give me one. Not so I can go up to him and say, hey, you're going to hell, but so we can talk to him and say, build a relationship and start a conversation. Talk about, hey, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Let me tell you how exciting, how excited I am that I have joy and I have answers. And what it feels like and what it means to be set free from the, the cage of sin and be set free from the shame and the regret that I used to carry and how tired I was of carrying that. Can I share that with you? Who are we? If we're not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, who are we? Then you're just a club member. You're not a follower. And that's a hard truth. I get that. And I'm challenging myself this morning too. I know you're like, man, somebody like, I just came into church today and this is the message that we got. But it was a message that believers, we need to hear. This past week at camp, I was talking to a young man who was struggling with giving his life to Jesus Christ. And here's why. Because his grandma had died. And he didn't know if grandma knew Jesus. And he didn't know if grandma was in heaven. And so it was easier for him just to say, well, I'm not even going to think about heaven and hell. I'm not going to give my life to Jesus because if I just don't think about it, then I don't have to come face to face with the fact that grandma might be in hell. And I was like, here's the deal. If your grandma was in hell, if she could be here right now, what would she want you to know? She would want you to know, don't come here. 
And right now we have the hope of the gospel living in us. And we have the time we need right now. We have the breath in our lungs and we have the beat of our heart and we have the story that God has created in our life, making us brand new. And he has put people strategically in your life all over the place for us to make an impact in a different sense. What are we gonna do about it? Who's your one? This morning, I don't know how God has impacted your life this morning. I don't know how he's spoken to your heart today, but maybe today you're hearing like, John, I don't know Jesus. I don't have a relationship with him. I'd love to introduce you to the Savior today. The Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved because he died for you to take your wrath and your death and my death. Or maybe you're here this morning and God impacted your life today about your one, then I'm gonna challenge you. Maybe you wanna come forward and pray and lift that person up before God. Maybe you wanna kneel right there at your seat. Maybe you wanna grab your spouse and say, hey, let's just pray for our neighbor. Let's pray for our coworker. Let's do what we can do now while we have the time now. Because we get to go to heaven. Praise God for that. I can't wait. It's gonna be amazing. But we gotta share that. God, this morning we thank you again for your word and how powerful it is. And God, sometimes we said it from the very beginning last year when we first came to the church here that sometimes your word, it, it causes some uncomfortableness in our life. Sometimes it's difficult. We don't like to hear certain things. But God, that's how you wanna grow us. That's how you challenge us. And so this morning, God, your word has been presented. And I pray that you will develop and produce the fruit. And that people this morning, if there's somebody here who doesn't know you, they'll come to know you today. They'll give your life to you today. And for those this morning that God, you needed to reignite, that you needed to, to give passion and urgency to about this, I pray that when we leave these doors, it won't be washed away again. It will be just sold out for you and passionate about the one. We love you. We'll give you all the praise and glory for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand this morning with me in worship? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you have any questions about Morningstar Baptist Church or today's message, visit MorningstarDayton.org and choose Contact Us.